Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. I've decided to talk about three main areas today, and there may be others. The Electoral College, you're going to have a history lesson like you've never had before, because the Democrats keep saying it's undemocratic, one person, one vote. I want to address that. This is another attack on our constitutional system. Obamacare, this is being litigated today. There's no secret conspiracy within the Republican Party or the White House pushing this issue. This issue is front and center because of a decision by a federal judge, <clears throat> a right decision in Texas, excuse me, ruling that it's unconstitutional. And Republicans are running from it, talk show hosts are running from it, and we must not run from it. It's just a matter of explaining it in plain English. And then the issue of immigration. Now, what's interesting about these last two issues, Obamacare and immigration, I've been addressing them. It's in Liberty and Tyranny and it's in other places as well. But this immigration issue is evidence that the Democrat Party does seek to fundamentally transform America. I don't care how much I'm attacked on this issue. I've led on this issue for over a decade when some of the other hosts were playing footsie with Marco Rubio and thinking about comprehensive immigration reform. I said, no, no, hell no. Which is why I wrote about it 10 years ago at some length. But my point is this, ladies and gentlemen, it is clear that the Democrats and the media are attempting to fundamentally transform this country through immigration, among other means. It is clear that there are countries around the world, and particularly south of the border, who seek to do exactly that. It is clear that we cannot possibly, possibly assimilate a million people or more, a million and a half to a million seven this coming year, coming into this country, barely literate in their own language, poor, unskilled, pouring into our cities, our neighborhoods. It is impossible for a country to be a civil society, to have a civil society with this kind of invasion. Whether the media like to talk about it or not, whether the media attempt to call us names or not, The fact of the matter is, a country exists for its citizens. Citizens don't exist to accommodate politicians, to accommodate the media, to accommodate foreign governments and aliens who seek to come into this country illegally. The history of immigration in this country is a very tolerant history. That's why people say we're a nation of immigrants. You can't have a nation of immigrants. You're a nation of citizens that tolerates or promotes immigration, depending on the situation. 
We don't need 1.5, 1.7 illegal aliens coming into this country. There aren't jobs for them. There aren't taxes being paid to support our massive welfare state that the left has created. The issue is what does America need? What does the American citizenry want? Not what families who come here illegally demand. Not what other governments want. This is our country. Red, white, blue, whatever color people are, whatever their religion. This is the country, the American people. This government is set up to represent the American people. We don't represent the whole world in this country. These are American institutions. That's an American constitution. It's an American culture. We have people in this country who have found a home in the Democrat Party and they run the Democrat Party. We have people in this country who pretend to be newsmen and newswomen who are propagandists. Immigration is out of control and it's been out of control for half a century. We can't even manage our borders. Law enforcement, federal law enforcement is overwhelmed. We don't have facilities for all these people. We don't have administrative law judges enough to handle these cases. We have these outrageous immigration laws that people are playing. They know how to play them. Why? Because we have lawyers who go south of the border and advise them on how to play our rules. Claim refugee status. Then you don't have to leave. Seek asylum. Then you don't have to leave. Then you have to show up in court in a year or two. And over 90% of them never show up. This is an effort to fundamentally transform America. I heard Obama when he was president, Biden when he was vice president, they were very excited about the cultural shift, about the change in color of the population. That's not what you have immigration for. Immigration is supposed to be colorblind. When people come into this country, they need to have skills, they need to have a a form of sustenance, jobs, money. People pouring over the border who can't care for themselves. Moreover, we don't know who they are. We don't know their records. They come here illegally. We, the American people, in two weeks' time, we're paying our federal income taxes. We pay our federal income taxes or we go to federal prison. We follow the rules. We pay our way. We ask nothing from anybody. That's the way I was raised. And the minute people cross the border, their hand is out for a program, for civil rights, for whatever the issue is. We have never, ever seen anything like this. The breakdown of law and order, supported by a major political party and the American news media. We have never seen anything like this in our country. This is flat-out tyranny, whether it's immigration, whether it's health care, whether it's the attack on the Electoral College, whether it's the attack on the last election, trying to take out the President of the United States. You are witnesses to tyranny. That's what's taking place in this country.
And I'm not kidding. The breakdown of the civil society, the breakdown of the rule of law. And people come into this country. They come into this country, many of them, not all of them, but many of them with the wrong attitude because they listen to the Democrats, they listen to the left, they listen to our media, they listen to the immigration lawyers. They think they have a right to be here once they're here. A right to be here once they're here. We have federal judges appointed by Obama, among others, who confer rights on illegal aliens. We have federal judges who overturned this president's efforts to stop the invasion, to enforce the rule of law. We have mayors and city councils. We have governors who unilaterally announced they're not going to follow federal law. They're not going to assist ICE to remove people who've committed crimes and come out of jails. These are called federal detainers, as you know. They embrace nullification. Nullification, as I've told you for years, was the watchword of the Confederacy. We have a Supreme Court that is utterly inconsistent on this issue of immigration. A few years back, when the state of Arizona tried to protect itself from illegal immigration, it embraced federal immigration enforcement laws. But Obama did not. Obama defied the spirit and reality of these laws. The legislature and governor of Arizona said, well, we're going to follow federal law. So they're taken all the way to the Supreme Court. And by a five to four decision, by a five to four decision, a decision written by Anthony Kennedy, The Supreme Court ruled effectively that the President of the United States has plenary power, meaning virtually all power, when it comes to immigration. Here you had a state trying to enforce federal law. Now the courts have ruled opposite, that Donald Trump says, okay, now I'm the President, and I'm going to enforce immigration laws. And you cities and towns and you you states that are nullifying federal law and the supremacy clause of the Constitution, we're going to cut funds off, law enforcement funds. Oh, you can't do that. Why? You're not allowed to do that. What, are you a dictator? You can't just issue an executive order. You can't just direct your Department of Justice to do it. You must be a dictator. Now, enough is enough. Enough is enough. The entire country is affected by this. We're the playthings of the Democrat Party. We've got states that were red turning purple, purple states turning blue. We have voter laws that have built within them their own demise to ensure that after the votes are counted on Election Day, more votes are counted after Election Day. And God forbid you insist on seeing a birth certificate. God forbid, you must be a racist. You must be suppressing the vote. Because you only want a white nation, you see. We've heard it and heard it and heard it. A few months ago, Jim Acosta confronted the President of the United States at that infamous press conference. 
interrupted him, disrupted the press conference because he's a social activist. He's a leftist. And he admonished the president of the United States from his CNN chair for calling this an invasion. You know it's not an invasion, Mr. President. Oh, that's my term. I believe it is, the president said. Acosta hadn't been to the border at the time. Acosta hadn't been in any of these so-called caravans at any time, at that time. He didn't know a damn thing. He was sitting in his office at CNN or strolling around the White House grounds grumbling about how he's mistreated. But the president was right, and he's right right now. And Acosta was wrong because Acosta's a fraud. This isn't just an invasion. It's an invasion over and over and over and over again. And our government responds time and again with amnesty, 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 amnesty. People used to ask me, Mark, if we had a situation like we had at the beginning of World War II, do you think we could win? Do you think the country could get together and win? There are very, very courageous brave men and women in this country who have volunteered for the military. They represent a small fraction of a fraction of our population. But do I think the population overall would rally? I don't know. If we won't even protect our sovereignty by securing the border without going to war, I just don't know. I think there are people in our midst who've been so brainwashed by universities, by television, so-called news, or countries they've come from. They abuse our country. They use our country. They badmouth our country while they luxuriate in our country. Like no other country on the damn face of the earth. I don't know. And if I hear one more time from that old red, Bernie Sanders, who used to point to Moscow as the great place, who used to point to Havana as the great place, and Venezuela, if I hear one more damn time about what they do in Scandinavia, who gives a damn what they do in Scandinavia? Freedom does not depend on the Scandinavian countries. Freedom depends on a free United States of America. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever wished you knew more about how politics and our Constitution work? Could you explain the key differences between capitalism and socialism? Wish you knew more about American history? Well, I have good news for you. It's not too late to learn no matter how busy you are or how long it's been since you've been in college or high school. And you can do it for free. Because my friends at Hillsdale College, as a service to our country, have free online courses that provide a taste of the core curriculum that every Hillsdale College student takes. The core that teaches us how to think critically and act virtuously. And it can help you, too. Getting started is very simple. Just sign up for one or more of Hillsdale's most popular online courses for free. And you can learn whenever you like. Visit online.hillsdale.edu right now. That's online.hillsdale.edu. 
Join right now and you'll be on your way to a rich, meaningful education. Again, that's online.hillsdale.edu. Liberty and Tyranny many years ago, I dug into the history of a number of subjects, including immigration. And this book serves as a guide to a lot of hosts on TV and radio. And so what I want to do is walk you through a little bit of history so you know how we got to this insidious place. A place where lawlessness is treated as something to pursue, where Foreigners who haven't even stepped foot in this country are considered more noble than American citizens. Why? Because they're more reliably Democrat. That's why. That's the, that's the bottom line. The country exists for the Democrat Party. The government is an appendage of the Democrat Party and vice versa. Donald Trump, like any other Republican, particularly Trump like Reagan, is considered alien to what they've created, this massive Leviathan. And they want to create another one, make it even bigger, with the Green New Deal and so forth and so on. This is all intended to exclude you from your own country, to exclude you as a participant. And you're mocked and you're laughed at. Tell me, anybody on TV ever call illegal aliens deplorables? Anybody on TV ever call illegal aliens neo-Nazis? Anybody on TV ever call... Illegal aliens, toothless, like they do. All those names been used against Trump supporters and other conservatives. All those names. They wouldn't dare say that about illegal aliens. And they shouldn't say it about illegal aliens. But they wouldn't dare. Absolute disrespect for citizenship, the rule of law, the Constitution. It's tyranny. It's not the Democrat Party. It's the tyranny party. It's the tyranny party. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. I'll get into that later. What does that mean? And they want to get rid of the Senate now. Meanwhile, you have people in the Senate running for president. They don't resign as a demonstration on how it works. What do they want? They want a European Parliament. That's what they want. But I want to give you a little history lesson on how we got here on immigration. Not somebody using my book. Me. I'll use my own words. We'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. 
That's in Primus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. America's most powerful conservative voice, The Mark Levin Show. Dial in now, 877-381-3811. Little history lesson. Straight out of liberty and tyranny. How did we get to this place? In 1965, as part of the Great Society, the statists laid the foundation for radically altering the character of American society and the relationship of the governed to their government. When he signed the so-called Hart-Seller Act, named after a senator and a congressman, President Lyndon Johnson said, quote, This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. It does not affect the lives of millions. It will not reshape the structure of our daily lives or really add importantly to either our wealth or our power. And during the debate over the bill on the floor of the Senate, Senator Ted Kennedy claimed, quote, First, our cities will not be flooded with a million immigrants annually. Under the proposed bill, the present level of immigration remains substantially the same. Secondly, the ethnic mix of this country will not be upset. Contrary to the charges in some quarters, the bill will not inundate America with immigrants from one country or one area or the most populated and economically deprived nations of Africa and Asia. Johnson, Kennedy, and other statists were wrong, and it is hard to believe they were not intentionally deceiving the public. In 1964, Republican vice presidential candidate Representative William Miller of New York well understood the overall increase in immigration that would result from this 1965 act. Here's what he said. We estimate that if the president goes his, gets his way and the current immigration laws are repealed, the number of immigrants next year will increase threefold and in subsequent years will increase even more. Now, the bill abolished decades-old policy of national quotas, which was said to be discriminatory because it favored immigrants from Europe, especially the UK, Ireland, and Germany, over the Third World. The bill also introduced for the first time a system of chain migration. That's right, it started in 1965, which, as the Center for Immigration Studies notes, gave higher preference to the relatives of American citizens and permanent resident aliens than to applicants with special job skills. So the historical basis for making immigration decisions was radically altered in 1965. The emphasis would no longer be on the preservation of American society and the consent of the governed. Now aliens themselves would decide who comes to the United States through family reunification. And with the elimination of national quotas and the imposition of chain migration, aliens immigrating to the United States were poorer, less educated, and less skilled than those who had preceded them, a pattern that continues to this day. To this day. The late author, a liberal too, Theodore White, no conservative, wrote that the Immigration Act of 1965 changed all previous patterns, and in doing so, probably changed the future of America. It was noble, revolutionary, and probably the most thoughtless of the many acts of the great society. Now listen to this. In the 1960s, 
Cesar Chavez, one of the founders of the United Farm Workers UFW Union, vehemently opposed illegal immigration, arguing it undermined his efforts to unionize farm workers and improve working conditions and wages for American citizen workers. The UFW even reported illegal immigrants to the Immigration and Naturalization Service at the time. In 1969, Cesar Chavez led a march accompanied by Ralph Abernathy, president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, who'd been Martin Luther King's right-hand man. Senator Walter Mondale, who was vice president later under Jimmy Carter, along the border with Mexico, protesting the farmers' use of illegal immigration. Think about that. Think about that. Back then. Wasn't that long ago. I wrote this book, Liberty and Tyranny, 10 or 11 years ago. And the statistics haven't changed on the consequences to this country, particularly with respect to illegal immigration. Rather than Americanize aliens and use public and private institutions to inculcate them with the virtues of American culture, language, mores, history, traditions, and customs. The statist, the left, is cultivating a cultural relativism in which the cultures from which the aliens fled are given equal accord with the American culture. But all cultures are not equal, as evidenced in part by the alien fleeing his own country for the American culture. And the American citizen staying put. And the American citizen staying put. 1796, George Washington's farewell address, he said in part, Citizens, either by birth or choice, of a common country, that country has the right to concentrate your affections. The name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism, more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. For more than two centuries, individuals with diverse backgrounds have come together to form a national melting pot and a harmonious society, sustained by allegiance to the country and its founding principles. But today's open-ended mass migration, coupled with the destructive influences of biculturalism, multiculturalism, bilingualism, multilingualism, dual citizenship, and affirmative action, have combined to form the building blocks of a different kind of society, where aliens are taught to hold tightly to their former cultures and languages. Balkanization grows, antagonism and conflict are aroused, and victimhood is claimed at all perceived slights. If a nation does not show and teach respect for its own identity, principles, and institutions, that corrosive attitude is conveyed to the rest of the world, including newly arriving aliens. And if this is unchecked, the nation will ultimately cease to exist. The late Dr. Samuel Huntington, who served as chairman of Harvard's government department and its Academy for International and Area Studies, observed this, quote, The persistent inflow of Hispanic immigrants threatens to divide the United States into two peoples, two cultures, two languages. The United States ignores this challenge at its own peril. So what did he say? 
The problem, he said, is not Latinos, not Caucasian Americans. It's a lack of assimilation. A lack of assimilation. He said demographically, socially, and culturally, the reconquista, the reconquest of the southwestern United States by immigrants from the south is well underway. Now, the United States, in many respects, is already a bilingual nation. Government at all levels and a growing list of private concerns do business in both English and Spanish. And Spanish is the predominant language in communities throughout the country. This is a destructive condition. St. Augustine. May I quote St. Augustine? St. Augustine observed when men cannot communicate their thoughts to each other simply because of difference of language. All the similarity of their common human nature is of no avail to unite them in fellowship. Alexis de Tocqueville made the same point. He wrote, language is perhaps the strongest, perhaps most enduring link which unites men. How can the alien participate fully in American society if he does not share the language that binds citizen to citizen? How can he acquire better skills, pursue higher ed learning, or interact effectively in the marketplace if he does not speak English? How can he assess the benefit of entering into contracts or other legal arrangements if he cannot understand the terms and conditions to which he commits himself? And most important, how can the alien comprehend the nation's founding principles? and pledge allegiance to them if he cannot be sure of their intended meeting. Yet proponents of unrestricted immigration vilify those who attempt to promote a common language. Whether it's the National Council for La Raza. La Raza, meaning the race in English. Which works tirelessly against the assimilation of legal Hispanic aliens into American society. And works tirelessly for illegal migration. This is the truth. This is the truth. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other business interests in the United States are economic enablers for this mentality. It's hard to believe that the Chamber uses its considerable clout with Congress to urge the importation of even more low-skilled and unskilled laborers. After all, who else will cut lawns, right? Wash dishes and pick lettuce. Of course, Americans will, if the price is right. Our friend, the Hoover Institution's Thomas Sowell writes, virtually any job is a job that Americans will not take if the pay is low enough. Nor is there any reason for pay to rise if illegal immigrants are available at low pay. And Mark Kikorian of the Center for immigration studies. He wrote some time ago, if the supply of foreign workers were to dry up, employers would respond to this new, tighter labor market in two ways. One, they would offer higher wages, increase benefits, and improve working conditions so as to recruit and retain people from the remaining pool of workers. And at the same time, the same employers would look for ways to eliminate some of the jobs they now have and are having trouble filling. The result would be a new equilibrium with blue-collar workers making somewhat better money, but each one of those workers being more productive. The late Minnesota senator, 
and Democratic presidential candidate Eugene McCarthy, who was really a fascinating man. He was very much a libertarian and yet voted repeatedly for big centralized government programs. He also endured Ronald Reg- endorsed Ronald Reagan for president in 1980. Here's what he wrote. The United States cannot regain its competitive standing in the world by importing low-wage workers from other countries. On the one hand, it engenders conditions this country cannot and should not tolerate. On the other hand, in the modern age, a nation's wealth and prosperity is secured by high worker productivity and capital investment, not by the availability of low-wage labor. This is how Democrats used to think, ladies and gentlemen. Whether it was Mondale or Eugene McCarthy, Ralph Abernathy, Cesar Chavez, this is how Democrats used to think. But not anymore. The costs are obvious in so many respects, and what we're supposed to do is believe otherwise. For the conservative to say that America is a nation of immigrants and no more, is to conflate society with immigration and treat them as equivalents. They are not. Immigration can contribute to the well-being of society, but can also contribute to its demise. The social contract is a compact between and among Americans, not Americans and the world's citizens. The American government governs by the consent of its citizens, not the consent of aliens and their governments. And American citizens are not interchangeable with all other citizens. American culture is not interchangeable with all other cultures. And the American government is not interchangeable with all other governments. The purpose of immigration policies must be to preserve and improve the American society. The American society. The status has been accustomed to setting immigration policy without notice from the American people. But the people are now witnesses to the events and costs associated with the current state of immigration in their own communities. They have made clear they want some order brought to the chaos. The evidence and prudence guide the conservatives' priorities, which include securing the borders to prevent not only illegal aliens from crossing in the U.S., but criminals and terrorists as well. Enforcing current immigration laws, including finding and prosecuting businesses that hire illegal aliens. Deporting newly apprehended illegal aliens and deporting aliens who overstay their visas. Denying sanctuary cities federal funds for contributing to lawless behavior. English and assimilation promoted in all the nation's institutions, not bilingualism and and multiculturalism. Limits on the number of aliens admitted into the country to allow for workable assimilation. The denial of most social services to illegal aliens to deter their migration to the United States. Repelling Mexico's interference in the internal affairs of our nation and the elimination of chain migration and birthright citizenship, which put the aliens' desires before society's well-being. As is his practice, the status engages in tactics intended to proscribe debate. Those who dissent from his immigration policies often characterized as exclusionists, nativists, xenophobes, and even racists. The neo-status, that is the neocon, offers no alternative to the status quo and condemns the conservative for not going along. He not only accommodates balkanization, but panders to it. 
but the good citizen contributes to the social cohesion of the civil society for his own benefit and the benefit of society. He expects his government to do the same. And the conservative believes that to the extent immigration can be applied to that purpose, it is desirable. When it is not, it is destructive. Mark Lovin. Folks, many of our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But sadly, many have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse and instead peddle their moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, there's Hillsdale College. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. And as Hillsdale enters its 175th year, their goal is simple and yet profound, to help students understand what is noblest and best in yourself and the world. Hillsdale College's liberal arts education and vibrant campus community helps students form a foundation for the rest of their lives, a truly life-defining experience. So if you're looking for a college that prizes learning and values intellectual enthusiasm, where everyone shares a strong sense of meaning and purpose, welcome to Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu slash admissions to plan a visit and learn more. That's hillsdale.edu slash admissions. So the Democrats want to flood our country, eventually give amnesty, want to eliminate the electoral college. They want to pander and buy votes through balkanization and the welfare state. And they're on their way. It's no coincidence that they're demanding that the border remain open. They pretend they aren't, but they're demanding it. And at the same time, try to eliminate the Republican aspects of our government, small-r Republican, for a pure democracy. And the big, the big trick here has always been to convince people to vote for socialism or Marxism or some form of autocracy where they actually think they have more control over their lives when in fact they have no control over their lives. And may I strongly encourage you, my fellow Levinites, to surge, to act now, to go on to Amazon.com or any of the other online purchasing services and acquire your copy of Unfreedom of the Press. I predict this book will be every bit as big as Liberty and Tyranny and will be every bit as important. Every bit as important because the media in this country are of the hard left and they are driving the agenda. And I examine it every which way and in ways that people haven't even considered. So I hope you'll act quickly to get your pre-order copy. It's 40% off at Amazon.com. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 381 
3811. Now let's tackle a subject that you might consider boring, but it's not boring. It's actually fascinating. This electoral college, one of the best short defenses or summaries that I've seen of this, apart from my own comments over the years, was a piece in the Washington Post a couple of years back after the election of Donald Trump. And of course, the liberals, the Democrats, the media were very upset, so they go after the system and try and destroy it to ensure something like that never happens again. But I want you to listen to this, and then we're going to take a look at the Federalist Papers, number 68, because it's interesting. The left loves Alexander Hamilton. They did a play. It costs a fortune to get in. Alexander Hamilton was a great defender of the Electoral College. But this little op-ed goes a long way in explaining things by Alan Gulzo and James Holm, H.U. L-M-E. There's hardly anything in the Constitution harder to explain or easier to misunderstand, they point out, than the Electoral College. And when a presidential election hands the palm to a candidate who comes in second in the popular vote, but first in the Electoral College tally, something deep in our democratic viscera balks and asks why the Electoral College shouldn't be dumped as a useless, useless relic of the 18th century white gentry privilege. Actually, there have been only five occasions when a closely divided popular vote and the electoral vote have failed to point in the same direction. No matter. After last, last week's results, again, this was written right after the Trump election, we're hearing a litany of complaints. The Electoral College is undemocratic. The Electoral College is unnecessary. The Electoral College was invented to protect slavery and the demand to push it down the memory hole. All of which is strange, because the Electoral College is at the core of our system of federalism. The founders who sat in the 1787 Constitutional Convention lavished an extraordinary amount of argument on the Electoral College, and it was by no means one-sided. The great Pennsylvania jurist James Wilson believed that Quote, if we are to establish a national government, unquote, the president should be chosen by a direct national vote of the people. But wise old Roger Sherman of Connecticut replied that the president ought to be elected by Congress, since he feared that direct election of presidents by the people would lead to the creation of a monarchy. An independence of the executive from the Supreme Legislature was, in his opinion, the very essence of tyranny, if there was any such thing. That's from Madison's notes. Sherman was not trying to undermine the popular will, but to keep it from being distorted by a president who mistook popular election as a mandate for dictatorship. Quarrels like this flared all through the convention until, at almost the last minute, James Madison, quote, took out a pen and paper and sketched out a mode of electing the president by a college of electors chosen by those of the people in each state who shall have the qualifications requisite. The founders also designed the operation of the Electoral College with unusual care. That portion of Article 2, Section 1, describing the Electoral College in your Constitution is longer and descends to more detail than any other single issue the Constitution addresses. 
more than the federal judiciary, more than the war powers, more than taxation and representation. It prescribes in precise detail how, quote, each state shall appoint a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. How these electors shall vote by ballot for a president and a vice president, how they shall sign and certify and the transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States directed to the president of the Senate. The results of their balloting. How a tie vote must be resolved. What schedule the balloting should follow. And on and on and on. Right there in the Constitution. Above all, the Electoral College had nothing to do with slavery. Nothing. Some historians have branded the Electoral College this way because each state's electoral votes are based on the whole number of senators and representatives from each state. I heard Juan Williams bring this up today. And in 1787, the number of those representatives was calculated on the basis of the infamous three-fifths clause. But the Electoral College merely reflected the numbers, not any bias about slavery. And in any case, something I pointed out over and over again, the three-fifths clause was not quite as pro-slavery as compromise as it seems, since southern slaveholders wanted their slaves to count as five-fifths, as one person for determining representation in Congress and had to settle for a whittled-down fraction, and I might add that was proposed by the non-slave northern states. It wasn't an affirmation of the southern view of the slave. It was a calculus used in determining how many seats in the House of Representatives and how many electoral college votes southern states effectively would have. As much as the abolitionists before the Civil War liked to talk about the pro-slavery Constitution, this was more of a rhetorical posture than a serious historical argument. The simple fact remains from the record of the Constitutional Convention's proceedings that the discussions of the Electoral College and the method of electing a president never occur in the context of any of the Convention's two climatic debates over slavery. It had nothing to do with slavery. If anything, it was the Electoral College that made it possible to end slavery. Since Abraham Lincoln, the great emancipator himself, earned only 39% of the popular vote when he ran for president in 1860, but he won a crushing victory in the Electoral College. 39% popular vote, crushing victory in the Electoral College. This, in large measure, was why southern slaveholders stampeded to secession in 1860 and 61. They could do the numbers as well as anyone and realized that the Electoral College would only produce more anti-slavery northern presidents. See, they wanted a popular vote. Yet even on those terms, it's hard for Americans to escape the uncomfortable sense that by inserting an extra layer of electors between the people and the president, the Electoral College is something less than democratic. But even if, we're a dem- even if we were a democratic nation, that is not all we are. The Constitution also makes us a federal union, and the Electoral College is pre- preeminently both the symbol and a practical implication of that federalism. And I might add, 
We're not a democracy. Or there'd be no United States Senate. And if you want pure democracy, we would have to eliminate the judiciary, wouldn't we? Certainly lifetime appointments. And yet isn't it, in fact, these candidates who have announced and are running for the Democratic nomination for president want a stronger judiciary, but want it filled with their activists, while at the same time they're running around talking about democracy and ending the Electoral College? It's not the least democratic aspect of our government, the courts. Just a point. The states of the Union existed before the Constitution. Hello, the states existed before the federal government. And in a practical sense, existed long before the Revolution. Nothing guaranteed that in 1776, the states would all act together. And nothing that guaranteed that after the Revolution, they might not go their separate and quarrelsome ways. Much like the German states of the 18th century, the South American republics of the 19th century. The genius of the Constitutional Convention was its ability to entice the American states into a more perfect union. But it was still a union of states. A union of states. And we probably wouldn't have had a constitution or a country at all. Unless the route we took was federalism. Bicameral Congress. One house elected directly by the people. The other house supposedly was to be elected by the legislatures. And the president and the vice president. With a popular vote of the state determines who gets the electoral votes of the state. The small states would not have joined the big states. There would have been other geographic issues between the so-called southern states and the so-called northern states. There would be no country. The Electoral College was an integral part of the federal plan. It made a place for the states as well as the people in electing the president by giving them a say at different points in a federal process and preventing big city populations from dominating the election of a president. That is exactly what the Democrats want today. They say one person, one vote. We have one person, one vote in every state. And the candidate that wins in that state is assigned the Electoral College votes. Abolishing the Electoral College now might satisfy an irritated yearning for direct democracy, but it would also mean dismantling federalism, and I might add, the republic. After that, there'd be no sense in having a Senate, which, after all, represents the interests of the states, two per state, regardless of population, and further along, no sense in even having states, except as administrative departments of the central government. These are points I've made over and over and over again. Those who wish to abolish the Electoral College or to go the distance, do away with the entire federal system and perhaps even retire the Constitution, since federalism, federalism, the federalism it was designed to embody would have disappeared. None of that, ironically, is liable to produce a more democratic election system. There are plenty of democracies like Great Britain where no one ever votes directly for a head of the government. But more important, the Electoral College actually keeps presidential elections from going undemocratically awry because it makes unlikely the possibility 
that third-party candidates will garner enough votes to make it onto the electoral board. They want to turn us not just into a European-style parliament, ladies and gentlemen, but into Italy's parliament. With endless numbers of parties, endless fighting, endless debates. Without the electoral college, there'd be no effective break on the number of viable presidential candidates. Abolish it. And it would not be difficult to imagine a scenario where in a field of a dozen micro-candidates, the winner only needs 10% of the vote and represents less than 5% of the electorate. And presidents elected with smaller and smaller pluralities will only aggravate the sense that an elected president is governing without a real electoral mandate. The Electoral College has been a major, even if poorly comprehended, mechanism for stability in our country, something which democracies are sometimes too flighty to appreciate. It may appear inefficient, but the founders were not interested in efficiency. They were interested in securing the blessings of liberty. The Electoral College is, in the end, not a bad device for securing that. The more we move towards a parliamentary system, the more we move away from a united country, an American system. They want us to embrace European health care. They want us to embrace open borders like France and other countries that are overrun. They want us to embrace socialism as an economic model which has spread throughout Europe. They want us to degrade our military, which they've done in Europe. And now they want us to trash our Constitution so they can impose their will much more easily, almost willy-nilly. That's why today, this evening, we're talking about immigration and the Electoral College. They have everything to do with each other. As does Obamacare. These are all aggressive efforts at denying you your liberty and undermining the civil society. And those who say abandon one for the other do not comprehend what's taking place in this country. We must discuss them all. We must deal with them all. I'll be right back. Lovin. Are you dealing with overwhelming credit card debt? Well, get rid of it. Alleviate the crushing interest you're paying with mortgage refinance from American Financing. It's simple. At American Financing, they have no upfront fees, like others who charge $500 just to get started. And American Financing has salary-based mortgage consultants, so they have your best interest in mind, not a commission. And they can help you receive competitive rates and yearly savings of up to $12,000 without resetting your loan term. And that's right. There's no starting over. Instead, you just choose how long you need to pay off your loan. Plus, you could pre-qualify in 10 minutes. Close on your new loan in as fast as 10 days. It may even be able to postpone up to two months of mortgage payments, creating even greater upfront savings. Now wait. Now you're a homeowner. Mortgage rates have been falling for the last few months. There's less competition among home buyers, and loan amounts are at an all-time high, making it a great, great time 
to buy. So here's how you get started. Get started now by calling 888-900-1828. 888-900-1828 or AmericanFinancing.net. That's AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I love that guy. Sounds like a talk show host, doesn't he? When they speed it up, it's called cash boxing. When I first got into radio, they, they would speed up how you talked in order to put more commercials in. Remember that, Mr. Producer? And on some station, that's exactly how I sounded. Bet, 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 bet. Anyway. Federalist number 68 was written by Alexander Hamilton. He's a favorite of the left, I thought, as they try and pour the progressive ideology in any founder, and he's one of them. And he was trying to persuade the people in New York to put pressure on their representatives in Albany and in New York to support the Constitution. And he said, in part, the mode of appointment of the chief magistrate of the United States, meaning the president, is almost the only part of the system of any consequence which has escaped without severe censure or which has received the slightest mark of approbation from its opponents. The most plausible of these, who has appeared in print, has even deigned to admit that the election of the president is pretty well guarded. I venture somewhat further and hesitate not to affirm that if the manner of it be not perfect, it is at least excellent. It unites in an eminent degree all the advantages, the union of which was to be wished for. They feared the mob. They feared the mob. They feared that a faction, a mob, could take over the government as they had in France. And that's why, among other reasons, we have the Electoral College. And now look at the mob. The same mob, if you will, 200 and some years later. I'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Is that a copy of the Constitution you've got? Are you just happy to see Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. The Democrats would love nothing more than to see us splinter into a thousand different groups at each other's throats. Because that's their politics. They don't believe in uniting this country. They believe in centralizing the government. I don't know why we play footsie with a potential police state, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know why we're prepared to surrender the greatest 
nation on the face of the earth. We're not great because of Washington, D.C. We're not great because of politicians. We're not great because of illegal immigrants. We're great because we're Americans. We are a great people. We've done great things. We look out for our fellow man when we can. Whether in this country or other countries. We're largely a people of faith. Not in government. In God. God's name is in our founding document. All throughout our founding document. When you read my new book, Unfreedom of the Press, you're going to learn things that I learned as well. Freedom of the press, in many respects, was given birth in this country. Huge country with disparate colonies. Because the relative handful of individuals who had access to printing presses, and there were very few early on, We're challenging the orthodoxy of certain religions or heads of religion. At the same time that we were developing freedom of the press, we were advancing freedom of speech. This country is soaked, and I mean it in a a positive way, in faith, in the Judeo-Christian faith. Soaked in it. It existed in this country before we had a government. That is, a federal government. It existed in this country before we had elected governors or legislatures. Mostly British appointed governors and so forth. It's through faith, it's through religion. And challenging various acts of fundamentalism, but embracing Reformation, that we got a free press in the first place. Now, how many people knew that? Did you know that, Mr. Producer? It's an incredible thing. People know nothing about this, and that's our history. History didn't start with the New Deal. History didn't start with the Great Society. History didn't start with Barack Obama. We have a great history. We have a grand history. And it's important that successive generations of immigrants embrace it and are assimilated into it. Not that they try and impose their culture from which they escaped, from which they fled into our country. When President Trump called some of these countries S-hole countries, he was attacked as a racist. But he was right. Some of them are. That's why people will travel a thousand miles to get to our border. If they weren't, why would they do that? They're escaping their countries. They're escaping their cultures. And yet when they come here, they're encouraged 
to continue to celebrate their cultures. I'm not talking about on a special day of the year, you know, a Columbus Day or what have you, or St. Patrick's Day. or No, I'm talking about in lieu of the American culture. Of course you want to embrace your ancestry and survive. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about supplanting the American culture. Does your current office chair support you? Now, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down. Compare that to my X-chair with dynamic variable lumbar support or DVL. The X-chair's DVL provides unbelievably comfortable lumbar support, and every part of the chair can be custom-adjusted to fit you. That's why the X-chair is equally supportive and comfortable, whether you're 5 feet 2 inches and 110 pounds or 6 feet 4 inches and 250 pounds. I can comfortably sit for hours in my X-chair, as I do during this broadcast and when I'm writing my books. And now, with the introduction of the X-Basic model, there's an X-chair for every body type and budget. Take advantage of X-chair's new financing option and pay as little as $30 a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. X-chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchair. Excuse me, xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, or give us a call one eight four 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 xchair. One eight four 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 xchair. Xchair comes with a thirty day, no questions asked guarantee, of complete satisfaction. So go to xchairlevin.com right now and use code xwheels, and you'll also receive a free set of the new xwheels. With your chair. But most importantly, get your X-Chair. XChairLevin.com, XChairLevin.com, or 844-4X-Chair, 844-4X-Chair. Well, it's true. Read your Declaration of Independence. When's the last time the left talked about the Declaration of Independence and its reference to natural rights? Natural rights. They don't. Whenever they talk about the Constitution, it is to enshrine their ideology or to attack it. You know, I've said over the years that we live in in so many ways in a post-constitutional country. We do. We do. That's by design. That's by the design of the progressives. You know, I'm sure I'll be dead and gone for a long time before people really realize this, other than you, my beloved audience. But if you read each one of my books, seriatim, one after another after another, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying if you do, you'll see the logic to everything that I've been writing over the last 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it's been. But it's been since 2005, I guess. And this book, Unfreedom of the Press Included, There's a logic to it. I already know down the future what I'm going to do. But it's very, very important to understand the book that I've written now. It's going to be out in a few weeks. Very important to understand it. Because when you look at the history of the press and you look at the history of this country, what they meant by a free press was a press to advance the cause of liberty. Liberty to advance the cause of the principles you see and read in the Declaration of Independence. 
Another fascinating fact you may not know. It was the press prior to the revolutionary period and during the revolutionary period that did more to shape the principles of this country than any other institution. Those original printers, those original newspaper men, there were less than 40 newspapers when the Revolutionary War broke out. Those pamphleteers, of which there were many, like Thomas Paine, were absolutely crucial. Crucial, starting the revolution and taking us through the revolution. Absolutely, completely opposite and unlike our media today. The social activist media, the Democratic Party media. Completely different than the press, the new press of the American era. They were committed to these principles. You know, it's interesting. They didn't even believe in printing. I'm going too far. I'm going to get slapped, but I don't care. They didn't even believe in being objective necessarily. It's true. They believed in advancing Americanism. And they didn't hide it. And they didn't hide it. There were obviously some few newspapers and some pamphleteers who took a different position. And they were denounced by the other papers and pamphleteers. But these men were always under threat by the crown. They had to pick up their their printing presses and their typeset and from time to time move from one place to another. You may have heard of one of them, Benjamin Franklin. His older brother was one of the earliest printers in Boston, which is where Franklin was born, moved to Philadelphia. These were true patriots, ladies and gentlemen. When I'm trying to convey, and perhaps not as well as I do in the book, you can see the synergy back then between the nascent early press, pre-revolution, revolution, and then constitutional period. They would fight over issues. There's no question. The media would take position. There's no question. But they were all headed in the general same direction. I've said here before, I was born in the wrong time in the wrong uh, in history. I really believe it. That would have been my time. Today we don't advance the cause of liberty. Today we do not advance the causes that were espoused by the revolutionary press, by the colonists, by the founders. We're on defense. Where are we advancing liberty? Where are we advancing individualism? Nowhere. As a society, absolutely nowhere. We're trying to fend off tyranny and the tyrants who espouse it, who dress it up as some kind of a communal interest. So as I say, when you go through all my books, and especially this one, it all comes together. But this one's very, very important given our time. And I decided to write it given our time actually some time ago. 
But I decided to write it in earnest and push it out as quickly as I could. Given the abuse of the media, not just to our president, which is bad enough, but to you, the American people. To actually have so-called journalists, anchormen, hosts, and their bosses trash millions, tens of millions of Americans. This is new. This is unique. The free press has been hijacked by ideologues. Some of them quite dim-witted, but nonetheless, ideologues, many of them knee-jerk ideologues. It's been hijacked by a social activism movement. That's why so many of you who revere our history, revere our declaration, revere our constitution, revere capitalism, your jaw hits the floor every time you turn on the television. I'll be right back. I try to do with talk radio, ladies and gentlemen, which has really never been done before. This is our national town hall meeting. Reagan revolutionaries, Tea Party activists, Trump supporters, patriots all. I try and do it behind this microphone, and I try and do it on Levin TV several nights a week. And I try and do it in a different way on my Fox show. But nowhere better to put the argument totally together is in these books that I write. Now, one day I won't be here. One day I'm going to retire. They won't force me out. I'll just say, okay, it's time for me to step aside and allow somebody else to step in. I wish there was a more direct way I could communicate with you all without all the bureaucracy and tension and stress of middlemen and middle organizations and bureaucracies, but there really isn't. There really isn't. So I hope the limited time that I have, that we have together behind this microphone or from time to time in front of a television camera, I hope hope I'm able to make the best of it. That is my goal. Not to sit here and blow smoke, waste your time, jump all over the place, but to try and make something of our time together. I know now baseball's back. And we're preempted from here and there, and I makes things much more complicated and difficult. That is why I've encouraged you to download my app by going to marklevinshow.com, our radio webpage, website, and just go ahead and do it. It takes 20 seconds, and I hope you will, because you don't need to be a slave to this process either. You can be your own man and your own woman and listen to whatever you want, whenever you want. Do you wish that double chin would just disappear? Are those bags and puffiness getting a little worse every day? Here's Robin S. from Lubbock, Texas. I put that jawline cream on my neck like two or three days ago. That is the best my neck has looked in over 20 years. Now, several people told me my face looks young, and I'm blown away, she said. While Genesel's natural actives and a pure antioxidant base with no parabens, no chemical scents, no pharmaceutical preservatives, 
It's the clean luxury your skin deserves every day. Click or call right now, and the Genesel jawline treatment is yours absolutely free. Just for ordering the classic Genesel plant stem cell therapy for bags and puffiness. Call 800-SKIN-604 or go to Genesel.com. That's 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. Genesel works for women and men. And for results in 12 hours or less, 12 hours or less, the Genesel immediate effects is also included for free. Call now and get free three-day shipping. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. I'll be announcing book signing locations in a couple of weeks. We've locked our first one in, but I'm not going to announce it yet. Uh, Don't contact the Reagan Library. That'll definitely be one of the places, but we haven't picked a date yet and haven't worked that out with them yet. And there'll be a few others as well. So I will alert you to those. All right. I don't have my call screen up, Mr. Call Screener. Friend or foe, let's go. XM Satellite Amy in Colorado. Go. Hi, Mark. I'm really enjoying the show tonight. Um, I just had a comment on the illegal immigration. We have a daughter um, that we adopted from Guatemala. Uh, She's 12 now, but we got her when she was 10 months old. It took us a whole year to do it, mm-hmm. court time, thousands and thousands of dollars, and we had to go to Guatemala to pick her up and bring her here legally. Um, and to see these people rush our border and think they have the right just to cross in, mm-hmm. um, and people in our government enabling them, it infuriates me. It should, um, because the rest of us follow the rules. We follow the laws as, as inane as they are. We're filing our taxes now, as outrageous as they are, and people just stroll across the border, and we're supposed to confer benefits on them and citizenship on them? Hell no to that. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day, with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. All right. Now we'll get to the next point. Obamacare. What's Obamacare about? Is it about improving your health care? Is it about lowering your deductibles? Is it about lowering the premiums? Is it about giving you more choice? It's been a debacle. And yet the Republicans now support it. They now support it. Because they are mentally incapable and unable to articulate a contrary plan. That involves liberty, that involves the private sector, that involves capitalism. Because they don't believe in that anymore. They give us platitudes, but they don't really believe in it anymore. And I'm going to prove it to you. This is a piece in the Daily Wire. Rubio, Romney, and Crenshaw team up to push for paid family leave. Paid family leave. Now, I don't know Crenshaw. I understand he's a hero. He's the gentleman with the eye patch. He lost his eye. I take nothing away from him. He's apparently very patriotic as well. I saw Romney on the airplane the other day. Romney's a chameleon. Romney will take many positions, depending on whether he's in Massachusetts, Utah, running for president, or whatever he's doing. This is also something that Senator Lee, who's a friend of mine, has gotten behind, paid family leave. But they want to assure you that it's really not a new entitlement program. Because just to speak about the general parameters of what is circulating out there, the way this would work is that if a couple has a child or a single, there's a single mother, You could take up to three months off. They haven't worked out the details. They certainly don't agree on them. Uh, And get paid. Who's going to pay you? And what are they going to pay you? Well, we don't know exactly what you'll get paid. However, it involves tapping into Social Security. And see, the basic reasoning is this, and this proposal's been around a while. These politicians are now embracing it because they want to show you they actually support families. I have a whole different view on if you support families, then the government should get out of the way, but apparently not. So basically what they're saying is, look, we all have these Social Security accounts. We've all paid into Social Security, or we will. Therefore, there's no reason if younger people... They have children. They can't tap into their Social Security at the front end. In other words, front load it. And then at the back end, when they're senior citizens and so forth, uh, they will get less. Some proposals have it. and Some proposals have they will retire at a later age in order to make up the difference or try to make up the difference. Now, what's the problem with this? Do they not read what the Social Security trustees say? The Social Security trustees... Late January, early February of every single year put out a report, and every single year they say Social Security is going broke. And this last one says that Social Security will be broke in 2034. 2034 is 15 years from now. 
So you want to front load this thing where now all of a sudden potentially millions of people will be drawing money out of Social Security, not at the back end, but at the front end. What do you think that does to a program that's already likely to be bankrupt in 15 years? The math is actually quite simple. Moreover, I know you get from the Social Security Administration from time to time a letter that tells you what your account number is and how much you've put toward it and what's in your account. It is a lie. And those of you who are on Social Security right now, you have nothing to worry about. It's the 20, 30, 40-year-olds that have everything to worry about. They've taken every penny out of your account. There is no Social Security trust fund. The money doesn't even get to the trust fund. It is spent on general operating. What Mr. Mueller would send you to prison for for the rest of your life is done happily by politicians and bureaucrats who claim to be doing it on your behalf. Now, this big lie is perpetuated by these senators who are now proposing, and congressmen, who are now proposing, hey, look, you got your Social Security account. Why not tap into it when you need it to the front end and the back end? You'll make up the difference one way or another. You know, either take out less or you'll have a... uh, Uh, Or you'll have to retire at a later age. They have all kinds of schemes and ideas and so forth. There's no pot of money there. There's no pot of money there. They stole it already. And so they perpetuate this myth. And even if you look at the bookkeeping, if it's going to go broke in 15 years, if you play along, if it's going to go broke in 15 years... You're going to front load these expenses? So now you have people on retirement who've put money in for decades, as well as people up front who've not put money in for decades. Both are going to take out of a system that doesn't have a plug nickel? Now these proposals come from Mike Lee. They come from Rubio, Crenshaw, Romney, Ernst. Others. Let's see here. I can't get them all straight. But you see, this way they can say that they're helping families. They're doing this for the families. Wagner is another one from Missouri, I believe. This is called the New Parents Act. The New Parents Act. It's introduced by Crenshaw and Wagner in the House, Rubio Romney in the Senate. Not too far off from what Lee and uh, Ernst proposed themselves. A new spending plan, which they'll say is not a spending plan. It's like we're going to get a $1.5 trillion infrastructure plan that they're going to say is not a spending plan. Now, how many of you want the government involved in this? It's one thing to be able to have uh, deductions for independence and child care and Health care for children. I, I'm all for that because the less the government gets and the more the family keeps, I'm all for. But that's not this. That's not this at all. Now you have this new, and it is an entitlement. I don't care what they, uh, they say, how they try to dress. As a, then on, on the other side, you have Obamacare. From the Hill. 
McConnell to Trump. We're not repealing and replacing Obamacare. McConnell said he made clear to the president that Senate Republicans will work on bills to keep down the cost of health care, but they will not work on a comprehensive package to replace the Obamacare Act. Now, it's being said wrongly, and it's unfortunate, it's a disservice. It's being said wrongly that the reason Trump brought this out, because you see there's people surrounding Trump. They're really rhinos who, who have their own agendas. And so they're pushing this. This is something that's bothering them. You know, particularly right-wingers, these conservatives. You know, they're out to get Trump. The ones who work for him. So this is their pet project to repeal Obamacare. Since when did repealing and replacing Obamacare become a pet project or become a rhino act or a conservative act or anything of the sort? Do you know why it came up? It had nothing to do with any of that. It came up because there's active litigation going on, because a federal judge in Texas ruled that Obamacare is unconstitutional now that the individual mandate has been repealed. Because one of the arguments that were made by the majority was made on the Supreme Court was, you've got this intricate system. If one piece goes, the whole piece goes. The whole plan goes. <coughs> well, one piece just went. And so Texas brings this case and wins. And now you have Republicans running for the hills with the support of so-called conservatives on TV and elsewhere. It's not a good political issue. Why not? If you can't explain liberty and competition, if you can't explain to the American people why their premiums are too high, why their deductibles are too high, why they can't see a doctor or a specialist, how is that a losing political issue? Well, the Democrats are really excited. They're always excited. Well, it takes attention away from Medicare for all. No, it doesn't. At the bottom of this hour, I'm going to have one of the new, truly great conservatives in the House of Representatives on my program. He happens to be a good friend of mine, too, Chip Roy. He was chief of staff to Ted Cruz. But he had many accomplishments on his own as well. And he won in the midterm election last time around. He didn't lose. He won. He's a freshman. And he doesn't run from these issues. He's a statesman. So this is a winning issue. And I'll tell you something else. The Republicans should focus on three or four major issues. Not just one. Immigration is number one. But Obamacare should be number two. That we want to lower your rates. We want to lower your deductions. We want you to be able to choose your own insurance plan. We want your kids in college to be able to pay as they used to for a catastrophic plan. A couple hundred bucks every semester. What was wrong with that? What about pre-existing conditions, Mark? They were almost always covered before Obamacare. Did you see people dying in the streets? No. No system is perfect. But I guarantee you, and we know from our own existence in this country and and observing other countries, but some are more imperfect than others. And when government bureaucrats and politicians are making medical decisions for you and your family, there's something truly wrong with that. They can claim everybody's going to be covered. They can claim everybody's going to see a doctor. They can claim everyone will get access to prescription drugs. And we can point to the VA and say, they're liars. What the president did at the VA was right. He, 
He introduced some competition. They're liars. Why do we have an antitrust division if monopoly, centralization of power, particularly when it comes to government, is a good thing? Why do we care if one company owns another company? If the government's going to control all of health care? Why are there more rules in place to make sure Toaster Company A doesn't acquire Toaster Company B because it will reduce competition? But the goal for the government is to eliminate competition and decentralize decision-making with people who don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. There, I said it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Jackson Heights, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mr. Levin. I'm just so honored to hear your voice on my telephone. This is is great. And I just wanted to tell you, I don't usually call shows or anything, but I couldn't stop myself tonight. The beginning of your show, I was just sitting here riveted. I mean, it was just, just, you're such a great speaker. Aren't you sweet? Thank you. I appreciate that. And I love your show. I, I very rarely miss it, and I've learned so much from you, and it's just its a relief to hear somebody that I can trust. I, I can't listen to the TV news anymore. It drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, though. I'm going to uh, ask you to stay on hold. We're going to get your address, and as soon as my new book comes out, Unfreedom of the Press, I want to send you a signed copy, okay? Oh, my God. That is great. So don't hang up. Don't hang up. You're a very sweet lady. Mike, Sunshine, Maryland, the great WMAL. Go! Mark, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I missed you you at CPAC. I can only go on Fridays. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, you're right. Our our founding fathers mistrusted um, pure democracies, the tyranny of the majority. I've heard it put another way that, you know, democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for dinner. And, you know, that lamb has, <laughs> has rights, and a republic, more than it, probably any other system, protects minority rights. And isn't it ironic that the left wants to dismantle the very parts of our, our republic that, that protect minority rights? Look, in the end, they wanted to dismantle all rights. Look at Venezuela today. Are there minority rights? Are there majority rights? There are no rights. You're right. And in the end, when you divide people by color or religion or wealth or whatever it is, uh, your goal is to take down a united nation. It's to undermine the nation. And this whole ideology of the left, their propaganda on the left, turning American against American, is diabolical. And the, yeah, the, the goal to eliminate the, the – and by the way, they're not – they can't eliminate the Electoral College. You know, this uh, this idiot Gillibrand says uh, she's put in a proposed amendment to the Constitution on the and getting rid of the Electoral College. Let's just walk through this, Mike, and see how they play their supporters for suckers, mm-hmm. how stupid they think their supporters really are. And maybe they are. How in the world will she get that? Are you going to get two-thirds of both houses of Congress? No. Nope. Let's say you do. Then it goes to the states. You're going to get two-thirds of the states when it takes 13 smaller states to say no? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is a ruse. 
The dangerous part is this national popular vote movement, which is a way to get around the Constitution where certain states get together and they say, hey, look, we're going to throw our electoral votes toward whoever wins the national election. So think about this. Colorado just agreed to this. It's a purple state. California is the tail that wags the dog now because it's such a big state with such a big population. And if you take California out of the mix, Trump would have won the popular vote, right? So as goes California, goes Colorado. As goes California, goes all these other states. I mean, the the idiocy of this. And then they claim to support one person, one vote. That's not one person, one vote. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I was wondering, how many states do you think will follow Colorado's lead? I have no idea. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. It only takes enough to get to 270, and I believe they're about 170, give or take. Yep, it's a problem. But, but in every instance, they're looking for ways to fix, fix the system, not improve it, not reform it, fix it. In other words, the outcome. They want to control the outcome. Get rid of the Electoral College, open up the borders, uh, change the, uh, the, the, uh, the demographics of the country, uh, expand the welfare state. And the Republicans go along. The Republicans are now defending Obamacare. The Republicans are now proposing family leave paid for by Social Security. Uh, the Republicans are just, uh, I mean, they don't have a liberty agenda. They don't have a free market agenda. They don't have a capitalism agenda. They don't even articulate they don't even know how to articulate it. Some conservatives in media, they don't even know how to articulate it anymore. It's appalling. Well, I do. And my buddy Chip Roy, who's about to come on the program, we both do. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Denali. The Great One. The Great One. And you can call in now. 877-381-3811. Chip Roy is a buddy of mine. He served as chief of staff to Ted Cruz. He's now a, an elected member of the House of Representatives. Already is seen as a very prominent conservative there. He's had uh, other wonderful uh, careers, uh, uh, careers in his background. Chip Roy, how are you, my friend? Mark, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, thanks for all you do for the country. And, uh, you know, we're just living the dream of being a Nancy Pelosi's uh, speakership in the House of Representatives. I bet uh, you are. But we're fighting, and we're fighting to try to do all that we said we would do. And uh, it's one of a proud member of the Freedom Caucus. I'm just glad to be on the show. Let me ask you this. Um, I'm quite concerned. Apparently, we're not supposed to fight Obamacare anymore. Have you seen this? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, what's that all yeah. about? That's uh, a bad political issue. It's a great political issue. The prices are through the roof for, for premiums. Deductibles are through the roof. People are having difficulty seeing the doctors they want to see. Uh, what is it? The Republicans don't have an alternative? Isn't it called capitalism? Why don't you give us a few thoughts on this? Well, I appreciate that. As you know, Mark, and as many of your listeners know, and so many of them are so uh, supportive of me and help my campaign, and I appreciate it. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. I care intently about this issue of health care. It's important for Americans, and you pointed out rightly that premiums are skyrocketing as a result of Obamacare, as a result of the federal government, as a result of the policies that Democrats jammed down our throats. And now we've got a president willing to fight, but Congress is uh, unwilling to want to fight. Uh, we've got the state of Texas, and as you know, I'm the former first assistant attorney general there. The state of Texas, Ken Paxton, led a 20-state effort 
to sue to uh, challenge Obamacare again because they rightly recognize, and they won in federal court in Texas, that because uh, Chief Justice Roberts made up a tax to save Obamacare, now that the Republicans have zeroed out the tax, there's no longer a basis for that, quote, saving. So they recognize rightly that it's a problem. A federal judge agreed, and now it's in the Fifth Circuit. But yet a lot of Republicans on Capitol Hill don't really want that lawsuit to succeed, and they're kind of hiding from it. They're running, saying, oh, my gosh, what will happen on pre-existing conditions? When it's the Democrats that created an environment where someone might be in the position of not having health care, uh, pre-existing conditions, we, Republicans, we have all the solutions in the world, which is, like you said, freedom, capitalism, opportunity, doctors, having the doctors of your choice. All right, let's, let's slow down. So what do we do about people with pre-existing conditions? And what did we do before Obamacare? Were they all left in the streets to die? Absolutely not. And I'm glad you asked that. You know that. Of course, we had numerous backstops for people who ever had that kind of a situation. But let's also remember, all of us have a pre-existing condition because we're all mortal. The question here is, is how do you best get health care instead of worrying about health insurance? I don't want to focus on insurance companies or government. I want to focus on patients. Prior to Obamacare, we focused on patients, and most people were covered through employer-provided care, through Medicare, Medicaid, and other backstops in the individual market for millions of Americans. Unfortunately, due to Obamacare, millions of Americans lost their coverage that they had. Obama lied when he said, if you liked your doctor or your coverage, you could keep them. So instead, they lost it. But prior to Obamacare, you could go into the market, you could get coverage. You also had high-risk pools where states would come in and say, hey, look, you didn't have insurance, but we can still cover you because here's a path for you to be able to get coverage. And it's a small percentage of the population when the vast majority of Americans, well over 90 percent, have coverage through those other means. So we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, as they say, and we shouldn't do that. Republicans should stand proud on what markets produced in, in health care. Mm-hmm. And so um, when they say, well, Republicans don't have a plan. Well, the Republicans planning like you have to have a five-year, ten-year Soviet-style or Maoist-style plan. Um, is this the problem that Republicans have become not not all, but too many soft progressives? Absolutely, and that's the that's the concern that I have. The President of the United States is rightly taking the position that the Department of Justice needn't defend this ridiculous law, and rather is saying let's let the states take this through and in fact let's side with the states that this is in fact an unconstitutional mandate and that this tax uh, that uh, that uh, Roberts created is now zeroed out. It's the president's right. So I wrote an op-ed, as you know, it was in foxnews.com yesterday, backing up the president. Republicans should be proud of what we stand for. I believe we should be talking about health care for all. We don't need insurance for everybody. We're talking about funding insurance. Health care for all Americans through direct primary care, through health savings accounts, through health sharing ministries, which is stepping into the breach because Obamacare has caused so much damage and portable insurance that you can carry from one job to the next in our current society. If you do those things, then you would remove the need for any concern about pre-existing conditions because nobody would be uncovered because we would allow people to have all of the health care coverage that they need to be able to get doctors of their choice. So that's what I think we ought to do. It's not about some big, massive government plan. It's about an approach and, and being proud of that approach. Let me turn to another item. You know, our buddy Mike Lee and others are now proposing uh, federal 
child care legislation. Uh-huh. First of all, as a as a as a general matter, should the federal government be involved in family leave subsidize? However, it's subsidized. Should the federal government really be involved in that? Isn't the goal to keep the federal government out of the family? Yes, I, I'm with you on this, Mark. I, and I hate to say that, as you know, and I know you're, you're, you're friends with, with Senator Lee. He's one of the best people in Washington, D.C. But we just disagree on this issue. Uh, there are a few other members uh, who have fallen into this into this path. I do not believe the federal government should be in the business of family leave. Uh, and I don't believe that constructing a policy, even if it's allegedly taking money out of your Social Security, which is what I believe they've done in the Senate and a number of different bills, to fund family leave, once the federal government is in the family leave business, I guarantee you it will grow and get bigger and bigger and more subsidized, and now you've got the federal government managing how your children are being taken care of, and that's just wrong. Well, and the other thing is, isn't Social Security in trouble? I I, I don't understand. We're going to take money out of the front end, uh, and then there's various uh, schemes and plans for the back end if you're an individual and you have an account. Uh, you'll either have to wait to be retired or you'll get less money or something of that that nature. I mean, if the system needs to be helped, if it needs to have more uh, finances provided and however it's dealt with, you've got the yeah, trustees talking about in 15 years it goes kaput. I don't think you start pulling money out of the front end. I don't think that's the way to do it. I couldn't agree more, and not only that, as you know, and I know, uh, Social Security is upside down, as we call it. That is, it's not uh, getting the appropriate funding. Why? Because we have current workers uh, uh, funding retirees benefits, and essentially it's like a Ponzi scheme, right? It's upside down, and now you're going to be pulling more resources out of it, when instead we should be getting back towards where people will be able to take their money, save it, and God bless President Bush. I just think on a lot of domestic policy issues. You know, at least he tried to put something out of Social Security back in 05, and Congress back then, like they do now, ran to the hills. Uh, we need to reform Social Security, or it won't, it, it won't be there for retirees, and people are depending on it wrongly. Same thing with Medicare, by the way, as you know as well. Uh, so I don't believe that it's a good idea for a Republican, uh, you know, Republicans in Congress to go down the road of trying to create a new government safety net for for. for family uh, uh, leave and do so on the back of Social Security. It makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't understand personal responsibility and accountability. If you have a child, um, presumably you want that child. Presumably you want to take care of that child. Uh, I don't know. My parents seem to work it out, and they were uh, low middle class for most of their lives in terms of uh, their economic status, as we call it. I don't understand. Since the beginning of the Republic, people have managed through these things. Now we have to subsidize people? I mean, there's something about that that's perverse to me. I, I couldn't agree more. Again, I, this is what's so troubling about the current Republican uh, tendency to want to go try to be for something or do something, which is nothing more than a white version or basically you know, a, a version similar to what the Democrats want to do. We're seeing it, for example, on Obamacare, not to go back to that, but Republicans stand ready and offered an amendment. In fact, we had a vote on one today, and I was literally the only Republican who voted no. Was we had a vote on something that would basically say that you have to mandate coverage uh, of pre-existing conditions, and you couldn't price for it. So you basically just said, "Oh, well, we don't want to have to go into business of insurance or getting into the markets." But you just had an amendment out there that would mandate coverage 
and mandate that there be no price differential based on someone, what their conditions are. Well, now you just blew up the market. That's what Republicans do instead of saying, wait a minute, we've got a whole bunch of solutions to get the market to work forcefully and free it up so that you've got all the options in the world, just like we do for shelter and food and clothing, all the basics and necessities of life. It's the same thing with children and, and parents and taking care of your kids. If you free up the market, it works. When the government gets in the way, we end up with $22 trillion of debt. And frankly, I got politifacted on this, Mark. We're racking up $100 million of debt per hour. And PolitiFact actually gave me a mostly turn for making that point during the Cohen hearing, during uh, oversight. $100 million an hour because Republicans are, are, are hardly better than Democrats in terms of our approach of government. All right, my friend. Uh, people want to follow you in Congress. Where do they go? Uh, com. I uh, couldn't uh, thank you enough for uh, the support and getting me here. Of course, now I'm going to do my best. And look, we're, we're going to push back on the Democrats who are outright socialists. Republicans are doing a lot of good things as a group. We're fighting to defend the president and uh, try to make sure we're giving the tools to secure the border. And, and, uh, and I'm going to get in here and fight for health care freedom and fight to balance the budget and, uh, and appreciate your support and all you do. All right, brother. You too. Keep up the good work. You really are exceptional. Thank you, well, Chip thank Roy. You God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Isn't he unbelievable? There's a tough connection on the phone, but still you could hear everything he was saying. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You ask any AMAC member what they like most about belonging to the conservative alternative to the AARP, one answer that always comes up is how much they love reading AMAC's quarterly magazine, the AMAC Advantage. It's a first-class publication covering a variety of hard-hitting stories from notable authors, and AMAC members love it. Well, my friends, AMAC membership just keeps getting better. AMAC is pleased to announce that instead of publishing just four issues each year, they're now sending AMAC Advantage to all million-and-a-half AMAC members six times a year. That's six issues of AMAC Celebrated Magazine delivered to your home every year, and it's all part of an AMAC membership. If you haven't joined AMAC yet, you're missing out. Join today at AMAC.us. Now, why would you join AMAC? Just for the magazine? No. They have great benefits and discounts across the board that you're going to want to check out. You've joined the AARP for that. They're a left-wing group. AMAC is a conservative organization that fights for your beliefs and your values on Capitol Hill. And they have great benefits and discounts. Get your copy of the latest edition of AMAC Advantage magazine as well, along with all the other discounts and benefits that come with an AMAC membership. By joining right now, forget the AARP. We've got AMAC. The website is amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. AMAC, better for you and better for America. No doubt about that. Now, like nails on a chalkboard, it's tax season. And if you have IRS debt, every tax ad you hear reminds you this could be the day the IRS nails you to the wall. You broke rule number one. Don't mess with the IRS. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, take your home, make life miserable. I'm going to give you my direct line to Optima Tax Relief. They're the best. They've been around a long time. They've got pros, tax lawyers, IRS experts, accountants. They're for you. And it's just for my listeners, this number I'm going to give you. Ask about their Fresh Start initiative. 
One of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. And if you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands. Nobody knows this program like Optima Tax Relief. And they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And they resolved over $1 billion in tax debt on behalf of their clients. And they'll stand between you and the IRS. And they will fight to get you the very best deal that's possible. So call them now and see if you qualify for the Fresh Start Initiative. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. By the way, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. We've covered a lot of substance in a relatively few areas, but they're all linked. They're all linked. And I want to personally thank all of you Levinites out there who've gone to Amazon.com already and pre-ordered my new book, Unfreedom of the Press. Thank you. Let's go to Greg Aspen, Colorado, the great KGLN. Go. Mark, it's an honor to talk to you. How are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. I want to say thank you. If it wasn't for you and people like you, there'd be a lot of blind Americans that didn't know what was well, going I on. Well, I want to thank here. you, but between us, there's nobody like me. No brag, just fact. <laughs> anyway, go right ahead. Well, I heard you guys bring up the uh, the electoral, the popular vote law here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, well, since our governor got in, he's been doing multiple things. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Well, he's a leftist. He always was a leftist. Oh, yeah, he passed an oil field law with the safety clause stopping us to be able to petition against it that the people actually voted down in the last election. Um, so the, Anyway, the go right is, ahead before we run out of time. They are, they are petitioning against that popular vote law. We are trying to work against that, and there is a recall petition against him. But my thought was the Republicans need to concentrate on maybe going the opposite way of them on the Electoral College and expanding it, like do it state by state statewide electoral college by county like right now everything in colorado denver and boulder they get the say in everything and i i I know but we can't we can't federally reach into states and decide how that's going to work i i would object to that couldn't they no i'm saying i'm opposed to a federal amendment that empowers the federal government to reach into the states and tell them that, actually, we're going to change the Electoral College based on your county system. That's not federalism. Uh, so, no, I would oppose that. State elections? What's that? Could the states do that just for their state elections, so that, like, Denver and Boulder could Well, it depends just elect- on what they want to do, but, I mean, uh, the states are free to do what they want to do, but they can't violate uh, uh, certain constitutional rights of the individual. For instance... Yeah. Uh, Uh, I could sing them bringing a lawsuit and say that it's a civil rights violation because you're attacking the metropolitan area. Who knows what they'll do? Yeah, because they seem to do whatever they want with the Electoral College, like giving away ours to whoever gets the popular vote. Well, um, who decided that? Your state legislature? Yeah, they got in and they they passed it actually during that blizzard we had when the state offices were supposed to. All right, I don't care about that. The state legislature did it? Yeah. Okay, well, the state legislature presumably represents the state, right? Presumably. Your state has gone, over the last 10 or 15 years, purple, and it's moving blue. There's two reasons for it. Immigration's one of it, and the other is liberals moving to Colorado. We're having the same problem in Virginia and some of these other states. You can't. There's no way to save it by 
asking the federal government to come in and do things in order to protect the state from the federal government. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. So what? Thanks for your call. The guy's not listening to me, Mr. Producer. I don't know what else to say. Can we petition this? You can petition the whole world. You can petition your neighbors. Petition, petition, petition. To do what? I've told you that one of the ways to deal with this is Convention of States, Article 5. I don't know who you're petitioning. You're going to petition the governor? You're going to petition the state legislature? What, who, what are you petitioning them for? Uh, well, how much time do I have? Not enough time. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and each one of you, you Levinites, great patriots. I appreciate it. And we will see you tomorrow. Check out Levin TV tonight. Check out Amazon. I I can't believe Michelle Obama's like number three or four or five, and I'm number 14. How can that be, America? See you tomorrow. Take care. <laughs>